Making sales social to me is earning trust with people before I even talk to them through my content and through what I'm sharing on social. So that when I do reach out to them, you know, to book an appointment, for example, there's already that level of trust through my content, through what I've done on social. Welcome to the Making Sales Social podcast, featuring the top voices in sales, marketing, and business. Join Bryn Tillman and me, Bob Woods, as we each bring you the best tips and strategies our guests are teaching their clients, so you can leverage them for your own virtual and social selling. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to Making Sales Social. Today, we have a special treat. We have Jed Marley joining us from Mailshake. He is the also the creator of the Practical Prospecting newsletter, jed.substack.com. He's going to talk to us today a little bit about how to make emails more engaging and how to get better responses, as well as how do you leverage email LinkedIn Sales Navigator, and maybe even some other tools we'll see in order to make sure that we are booking more appointments. Jed, welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks, Bryn. Excited to be on. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Before we get started, we ask all of our guests, what does making sales social mean to you? Yeah, so I think for me, uh, particularly because I sell to a sales and marketing audience, because I create content on LinkedIn around what my product solves, which is cold email, making sales social to me is earning trust with people before I even talk to them through my content and through what I'm sharing on social. So that when I do reach out to them, you know, to book an appointment, for example, there's already that level of trust through my content, through what I've done on social. Oh, I love that. All right, so we're going to kind of peel that apart as we go through some of the questions, but I'm going to start on the email side. I live and die by social selling, but my email list really is a huge part of my conversion. So often I think about LinkedIn, well, I think about it in a lot of ways, but if I can get folks to opt into the email list, Mm -hmm. uh, I have a little bit more control over it. And there's an expectation of automation on email that's acceptable, that's not on LinkedIn. Um, So I want to kind of talk about some of, uh, you know, what's going on in the email email environment today. So I'm going to start with, you know, we have this influx of AI. Yeah. So much automation is happening. Some of it tries to pretend that it's personalized and often it falls short. So talk about how are we standing out today? How do our emails really show up? And do we want to personalize it more or is it worth going the AI route? Yeah. And so I've been testing all all of this for the last few years, particularly a lot the AI stuff recently. And I think AI is great, but it's only going to get you so far. And so the way to really stand out, in my opinion, right now is by using relevance in your emails. And I'll kind of dive into that a little bit deeper. So, for example, identifying common buying triggers with your buyers based on, for example, sales navigator filters. So a good example of this might be use a sales navigator filter that shows people who recently changed jobs or people who recently got promoted. You can use that as a relevant trigger and use that in the intro of your email kind of referencing the fact that, hey, like maybe you were a sales manager and now you're the director of sales. Use that as kind of your icebreaker intro and then a quick email kind of relating to your value prop. And so 
Uh, that's the, the biggest key differentiator, in my opinion, is like leading with relevance. So that first line, the, the preview line that they're going to see before even opening that email has something personal about them. Hey, I saw you just got promoted. I saw you just joined this company. I saw you guys just hired or are hiring for XYZ position. Lead with that and then go into what your solution solves and then obviously make your ask. Uh, but that's really the biggest differentiator. And, and that doesn't require... AI doesn't require a lot of work, you know, researching for, you know, tens or hours, you know, uh, on on LinkedIn profiles. It's pretty easy to kind of write that up and send it out. Interesting. So like in social selling, if we pitched that soon, we'd get blocked. We get, but, but you're seeing in the email side of things that having an ask in the first cold email is effective. Yes, except my ask isn't like, for example, it's not for time, it's not for a sale, it's not anything like that. My ask is just to send more information. So I'll find a buying trigger and I'll make an assumption. Hey, I saw you just got promoted to this position. Have you considered, for example, we're a cold email solution. Have you considered new methods for increasing response rate on cold email? Have a few ideas that might be helpful for you. Do you mind if I share them? That might be one of my emails, right? And so it's a really low friction ask because I'm just trying to provide value up front. I saw this buying trigger. You know, in theory, if you say yes, I'll send you some helpful information and then I'll I'll potentially make my ask for time after that. So one of the things you said that I really, really, really love is permission to send content, permission to send insights. This is a huge piece of our philosophy. But talk to me a little bit about the success you see asking permission versus just sending content. Yeah, it's a everybody gets sent content. I'm on like 20 email lists. I don't even know how I got on them, right? And so I never open those. They're kind of there. I'm always unsubscribing to those lists. And so it's a really, it's kind of a pattern interrupt in a sense because not many people are doing it that way. And then once you get their permission too, um, it's, you know, it's really easy to convert those leads at that point because you've already started the conversation. But the key is like asking for, for permission to send something relevant. And so going back to those buying triggers I mentioned, uh, for example, let's say that the buying trigger that I identified is that they're hiring for a certain position. I can say, hey, do you mind if I send some resources on how those XYZ new people you hired can potentially ramp faster in their new role? So you want to send them relevant information, ask for permission to send something relevant. And that's kind of the key to actually getting that permission. But yeah, in, in anything I do, particularly cold email related, permission is a key piece to it. I think that's critical. And I think it's earning uh, the right and they don't feel spammed. And there's so many good things around that. Often we'll say, I'm not sure if you're exploring this, but if you are, what do you think of that as a line? Oh, uh, not sure if you're exploring this. Is that is that what the... What yeah. So instead of saying, can I send this to you? I might Ooh. say, hey, Jed, I'm not sure if you're exploring new ways to do X, Y, and Z. But if you are, I have a blog post, an ebook, a... Uh, let me yeah. know. I'm happy to see. I love that because I think it does two things. First, I, I think it kind of creates FOMO in a sense, like fear of missing out because they're like, no, actually, I haven't. Let me learn more about this. And that's the way you should be reaching out to people with a, a level of expertise and trying to share new knowledge. So I think it kind of creates that curiosity factor. But I also like having, uh, I guess you'll call them unsure tones in your outreach, because when you sound too competent, too matter of fact, and I know that's... Uh, kind of common sales practice that you just have to be confident, you know, you're 100% sure you can help them. That's not really believable and it turns people off. And so if you can show that you're kind of human, you're not 100% sure that what you're selling is for them, it kind of gets them to open up and it breaks down that barrier. So I, I love that line. That's great. Good, because I'm using it. <laughs> That's good. I, but, you know, you're the expert here. So I, it makes me happy that, um, <laughs> that, that, that that works for you. So 
You know, I've heard it's the, you know, the subject line is the key to opening in open yeah. rates. Talk to, now you already mentioned a few things around if you're, you know, so you had a new job or something very yeah. specific, but if you're doing, let's say you have an email list that you're sending out to, and so you're not as personal as you'd like to be. Yep. Yeah, talk to me about open uh, subject lines and openers that get people to actually want to read. Yeah, so I think the easiest way for anybody listening to do this is go in your inbox and and think about the last five to ten emails you actually opened and what was common about those emails, right? And mm-hmm. and typically, what I try to do is avoid the the emails that look like they're coming from a marketing list because they tend to have a lot of explanation points, um, uh, emojis big, bold letters, and they're, they're looking, they're, they're kind of flashy, right? But the emails you do look open are the ones that that kind of look like internal emails, ones that came from a colleague. And so I try to write in that way where it's maybe the whole subject line is lowercase, for example. It's kind of casual, boring words is what I try to do because I try to have a pattern interrupt that almost makes it look like it was an internal email. So an example, let's say you're sending an email list. Uh, again, I'll use my company's example. Uh, where we help with cold email uh, and increasing reply rates, my subject line might just be three words, increase reply rates, and it's all lowercase. So it looks super casual. You know, people are interested. Oh, I do want to increase my reply rates. Let me open this. So I guess like in terms of a few bullet points of tips, um, don't make them flashy, you know, lowercase or just casual, almost boring language, if you will. Um, I try to do one to three words max so that that preview text can still be visible before they open the email. Um, and then just try to take whatever your email is about and distill that into a few words, like in my example, increase reply rates. And so that's generally the rules I follow when it comes to subject lines. What would your preview text be? You know, what what's the the, the next line that they'd see that would also yeah. help to increase opening? Yeah. So if we're doing an example where it's not personalized and I'm not using that, like those buying triggers I was talking about before, I like to lead with a problem. So increase reply rates is the subject line. Uh, my o- opener might be, you know, you know, have you ever run into issues where your emails are going into spam a lot? Or do you ever run into issues where, you know, your cold email campaign doesn't have the reply rates you were looking for? And so something that's relevant, a problem that they can relate to, to get them to open it and see what the solution is or what the offer is that I'm making. Mm-hmm. You know, I love that. I love, love, love that. And, you know, even when we talk about building out LinkedIn messaging or even your profile, yeah. when you start with the challenge, when you capture them with the challenge, they're going to lean in. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, you know, it's funny, we don't do that in our preview text. We just go like one step deeper of the positive. Not and 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 so that's my mic drop takeaway for my preview text moving forward is drop the challenge. Yeah. Um. So yeah, many more people will look at have how to solve a problem than how to just have a nice day, right? So yeah, a hundred percent. And like it it comes with knowing your buyers as well. Like if you've done proper research on your email list and the people you're reaching out to, you should know their top one to three challenges. And if you can. Mm particularly word it in a way that they would talk about their challenges, um, then you're then you're kind of, it's good, right? Like you want to put it in their language. You want to lead with challenges that are relevant to them and you'll get pretty high open rates. Awesome. So, so often when I'm talking with folks, their biggest challenge, although open rate is a challenge, their even bigger challenge is conversion, right? They opened it. 
they maybe they clicked on something, maybe they didn't, and we can measure it. But what creates that? What's the CTA, the call to action that actually creates the click that gets them to to take it to the next step? Yeah. So we just covered subject lines, right? And then we covered the first right. line. So th- let me just kind of break down how I think about an email in whole. So we've got Perfect. a yeah, you've got the opening line. You, you have two choices for your opening line. It's leading with a, I guess, generic challenge that you know they can relate with or something relevant based on those buying triggers we talked about before. And then your next line is kind of giving them a sneak peek into how you might solve that problem. So, and I like to do this with social proof. So for example, let's say you sell to agency customers, you know, the second line after, do you ever run into emails going to spam? It could be, you know, recently helped so-and-so agency customers, or we've helped over hundred agency customers, you know, reduce their spam rate through a couple simple methods, right? You're not really giving away all the secret sauce, if you will. You're just kind of piquing their curiosity. And then the call to action is, again, that permission. Mind if I share some information on what that looks like? Or uh, mind if I share a quick one-minute video to explain more? Or would you be open to learning more? So just an interest-based or an information-based call to action after you create a little bit of curiosity with some social proof as well. And that whole email should really only be three sentences. And that's perfect because nobody really wants to read a long email. We all know this. And if you keep it really looking to up your LinkedIn game, the social sales link team has you covered with our LinkedIn sales accelerator, a guided social selling program that includes training, coaching, and so much more. Visit socialsaleslink.com slash in for more details. Again, that's socialsaleslink.com slash in short like that, you'll get them to read through and hopefully take action. So that's awesome. Let's look when you're working with a client, they're probably coming to you to say, and and they have the wrong goal of the email, Yep. right? They're probably coming to you and say, they say, you know, I want to schedule more appointments. Like that's it. What are the baby steps that get you to there? Like, you know, so it's like, yeah, no, this first email has got to get you to what? That gets you to what? That gets you to the schedule call. Like, what does that cadence look like? That's the word. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of data on this. And I think there's a general rule of thumb that like at any given time, your total addressable market, only 3% are actually in the buying phase where they're ready to buy something. And so if you send emails with your only goal being to get an appointment, at the very best, you can convert on 3% of them, which isn't, I mean, yes, it's good, but it's not super high. And realistically, you're never really going to get there anyways. And so you have to have much lower friction as so obviously the first step is getting your emails open. Um, when I do like a multi email cadence, it's usually five to six emails over the, over the course of two to three weeks. And so mm-hmm. it's it's really soft asks. And then over time, as they've started to open, you make more direct direct asks per time. But you have to kind of earn their trust by sending resources. So, for example, after that first email, if they don't respond. Maybe I'll follow up with something like, hey, not sure if you saw my last email. But here's an example of you know how we helped XYZ agency increase reply rates. And I'll provide a helpful resource. And so you're kind of following up with nurture drips of resources. And then maybe if they don't respond to those first two or three emails, you come with a new challenge, right? Ideally, you solve a couple of different problems for your buying market. And so you come with a new email similar to the one we talked about earlier. But this time you're focusing on a new challenge, new content to support it. And so in terms of like the end goal, you just want to slowly nurture them with softer asks and then getting to a more direct ask. And then obviously 
you, you go for that appointment. But my whole goal is just to get replies, right? And so if I can create curiosity and get a reply, once I've started the conversation, I can get the appointment later. I don't need to get it right away. So I think I think that's re- like we talk a lot about slow down your outreach to speed up your outcome. Like just, yeah, love just pace it, right? Like, yeah, the, you're not going to make a sale today on them, right? And if you try, you're going to lose them. So you'll never make the sale. So, so I love that. What a lot of times when we're not getting responses on resources, we'll actually, and I've done this specifically to get in touch with one person, but we'll put out a poll and ask their opinion on the poll, get their vote on the poll. Or I'll say, hey, I'm writing an ebook on X, Y, and Z, and I'd love a quote from you. Would you be open to jumping on a quick Zoom call? We don't bait and switch it, but we re-engage them it by really highlighting them as a thought leader. What are your thoughts on that? That's great. Yeah. I mean, like here at Mailshake, for example, we run, we run a podcast as well. So maybe we'll invite them onto the podcast or, you know, we'll have them. Again, we sell a product for sales leaders. So we might reach out to sales leaders and, and say, hey, do you want to be involved in this next, next content piece we're doing? I think that's the next step that not a lot of people take, particularly because it's a long-term strategy and people want immediate results. But no, I absolutely love it. Um, and I think just in general, like going back to what we talked about at the beginning of the show, what is, you know, being social mean to sales for you like that's exactly what it's about is engaging with people's content so that when you do reach out they're familiar with you and you've kind of built that trust before making your ask so i love that i have a couple quick more questions before we start to wrap this up but this has been phenomenal you mentioned about earning the right and i think that that is an absolutely critical piece in any kind of sales and marketing right like you've got to earn the right one of the things that we find is that folks share sales people specifically that don't necessarily have the marketing support will share content they care about not necessarily content that their buyer wants to consume so there's a there's a shift in that right and so we have to in my in my mind, um, we have to do some research to find out what do they really care about and where can we bring value. How do you when you're when you and and Mailshake when you're working with your clients, how do you identify what content their buyers want to download? Yeah, so for me, it's kind of easy because I sell to I'm a sales leader myself, and I sell to other sales leaders, so I know what content I consume, right? But if you if you don't have that luxury where you are the buyer yourself. And you don't know what like you particularly consume. Uh, it's it's really simple. Like if you're new to a company, for example, like the first thing I would do is go interview your current clients, um, reach out to them. You see, can I offer you a gift card just to kind of pick your brain for a little bit? Ask them like, hey, where are they what what are their biggest challenges? Where are they consuming content from? Where do they go to solve these challenges? What communities are they hanging out in? What people on LinkedIn do they follow? Whose podcasts do they listen to? So you want to just do all this market research essentially by just reaching out and doing interviews. Um, uh, and the best place to start is your current clients. And so that's exactly what I do. And, and you'll learn a lot from that. You can even go on, like, for example, if you work for a software company, like I do myself, you can go on your software reviews online and kind of find a lot of information there as well. So it's just buyer research, buyer research, pretty much. That's awesome. Well, I, and that's all amazing. And you know, a lot of times you call it social listening, but you're talking about social listening, um, to a, a kind of that next degree, even it's not no. just listening, it's pure research, like you're gathering those insights, which I think is great. One of the areas we talk about on LinkedIn is don't just look at what they're engaging on, but take a look at what their clients industry is doing. 
who they sell to and what trends are happening in your buyer's buyer. Because they may know a lot about their own industry, but if you can share information about the economic trends and the people they're selling to, often you stand out more. How do you feel about that? It, you know, kind of skipping over their industry and going right into their audience, you know, who their audience is and insights around that. I think that's great. I think for anybody listening to this, most people do not do that. They do not take it. They hardly take it the first step, which is understanding their particular buyer's industry, but taking it to that next step deeper, I think is going to make you even more, stand out even more. Um, I think, you know, it's particularly worked well for MailShake since again, we sell a solution that is for doing cold outreach, for doing cold email, things of that nature. And so if we can come to them and say like, hey, look, I see you sell to, you know, the insurance industry, here's some insights on, you know, why insurance people respond to cold emails and what sort of emails they respond to. And if we can provide them that resource, then it's, it's huge, right? It's a huge value differentiator. So um, I love it. And I, I don't think enough people do it. Uh, so, okay, that's great. I love, I, I, I really love your position on a lot of this. And, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of cold outreach on LinkedIn, but on email, it really can have an impact. Yeah. So, you know, we have, we just found out today because, you know, our, we, we did our analytics and, you know, we have 30,000 active email. We have a bigger list, but 30,000 are active every single day. Yeah. Yet we're probably not leveraging the, the power of what you're talking about because I'm so focused in the LinkedIn area. I recognize the gold really can be in this email, in, yeah. in the email. Two more questions. I think I might've said that I only had one more, but now they just keep coming to my head. What do you recommend people do? All right, so now I've got this engagement. I see that people downloaded. You've got marketing that does their own drip. But as a salesperson, if you see a lead come in, what is your next recommendation? Yeah, like they've downloaded some sort of resource. Right. Um. Yeah, so... I this is this is where it's interesting, right? Because well, you don't you don't want to necessarily necessarily bait and switch them before, but you want to give them a reason to take an appointment. And usually, that reason to take the appointment is to dive deeper into that resource. So I'll give an example for it. If I send somebody a resource on how to increase their reply rates on cold email, maybe it's like a you know an email playbook or whatever that we might send them, and they downloaded that, I could say, hey, you know, saw you downloaded this resource. You know, if you're open to chatting, we can kind of dive a little bit deeper and share some ways you can actually put those resources into action. And so it's not just like, hey, I saw you down on the resource. You want to take a meeting with me now because you just took the first step. It's giving them a reason to take that meeting. And it's usually the next step in whatever that resource was. I love that. Okay, last question. And then we're going to wrap it up. No, I, well, <laughs> my last question is I have so many last questions. I also have top, I have like 200 top 10 movies. So it's always, <laughs> um, how do you leverage sales navigator to grow your email list? Oh yeah. I think what I love about sales navigators is that they keep adding new filters so that you can get really specific in terms of like the type of, if, if you are, are really in tune with who your buyer is down to like very specific, you know, company size industry, uh, how long have they been in the role? What type of role are they in? Uh, you can very clearly identify the best people for you to go after. You can create a list in Sales Navigator, then you can start reaching out and creating connections and relationships from there. So that's how I'm using Sales Navigator. I think it's the best tool for uh, really drilling down deep in terms of all of the filtering they have to find the perfect buyers for you. Um, and then, you know, starting those relationships on LinkedIn, email, that sort of thing. And then at what point do you say, hey, opt into my ebook? That always depends, right? It's, it's, 
you know, I, I like to start with like connections on LinkedIn with some sort of personalized note. And then, you know, if I get some engagement, add them to an email list where I'm sharing helpful resources. And so in terms of opting into this, you know, this list or this ebook that starts with that first email where I'm saying like, Hey, would you be, would you mind if I send some more resources? And so that usually comes a couple of weeks after connecting on LinkedIn. All right. So I got to go deeper. Forget my last question. Okay. So what about, we have the ability in InMail to have a signature line. Yep. How do you feel about having a download in the signature line so it doesn't feel like you're pushing it in the message that it's just part of the signature? I've actually never tried that. And now I think I might. I think that's a really good idea because it's really casual, right? And if you if you add something in that signature line, because we do that in the signature of our emails, but doing that on, on LinkedIn is great because everybody's so... Uh, turned off by the pitch slap, if you will. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They don't want to get a connection and an immediate message. But if you give them a reason to click that link on their own in your signature, I think that's great. And I'm, I'm probably going to start using that. Oh, yay. I helped the email genius with the email idea. Okay. So I know I could go on and on. And, and this actually completely exceeded my expectations because I like email, but I never, you know, I'm such a LinkedIn yeah, myopically focused person that there's so much we're missing and we're building huge lists, uh, you know, through the LinkedIn piece. I'm going to just share a couple things for building your email list. If if you are in creator mode on your profile, there is a call to action button. We have a, a join our library, which is, a, you know, a free, you know, it could be sign up for our newsletter, download right there. So use your profile to build your email list too. Um, And when you're asking permission to send, they're more likely to be okay with an opt-in page, you know, a gated page versus an ungated page. But if you have Sales Navigator, SmartLinks is a hub for content yeah, and you can have an ungated piece at the top, and then the next one down could be gated. So, lots of ways to build the email list using LinkedIn and Sales Navigator, and so on another day. But Jed, last question, I promise. What question did I not ask you that I should have? Oh, uh, you asked a lot. Um, I feel like you covered all the bases. Uh, I, I guess one one question is like. You know, will AI, because I think a lot of people are concerned about that, will AI, you know, make it so that you can't really be successful with cold email anymore? You know, if that was a question that you would ask me, I would say no, absolutely not. Because uh, again, going back to what we talked about again at the very beginning of the podcast is I don't think AI can replace kind of the more human relationship that you start with on LinkedIn, for example, that then leads into your emails. And that's how you get people to open. Most of the time, people open emails, not just because of subject lines, preview lines or whatever. It's because they see the name and they trust the name and they built some sort of trust. And that comes through LinkedIn. And I don't think AI can necessarily replace that. So that, that would be my answer. <laughs> that's a beautiful answer. I'm so glad. How can people get in touch with you? Yeah, I'll reach out to me on LinkedIn. I have a newsletter uh, as well, the Practical Prospecting newsletter, where I share a lot of this information. Um, but other than that, yeah, just just pretty much on LinkedIn. Awesome. And it's jed.substack.com. Yes. And it's uh, Jed Marley on LinkedIn at Mailshake. Thank you so much. This was fabulous. Yeah. So, guys, yeah, to our listeners, when you are out and about, don't forget to make your sales social. 
Thanks for listening and join us again for more special guest instructors bringing you marketing, sales training, and social selling strategies that will set you apart. Don't forget to subscribe to get the latest episodes from the Making Sales Social podcast. Leave a review down below. Tell us what you think, what you learned, and what you want to hear from us next. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. Visit our website, socialsaleslink.com, for more information.